With that, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter, the study before the last tonight. The challenge in suffering, a living hope. We have Christ as our living hope. Praise God for that. Chapter 5, verse 5 through 9, let's read it. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that your, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. If you recall last time we were together, we talked about the suffering as a shepherd, and we talked about the definition of a shepherd, basically one who feeds and tends the sheep, the qualifications, ultimately that he had to be a humble man with the heart of God for sheep, of course, the responsibility ultimately to serve the sheep, being examples in the reward, the crown of righteousness that all of us are going to get as well. Awesome. And of course, we concluded with the application that really, ultimately, guys, we're all shepherds. How are you doing as shepherds out there? Pretty good? It's a tough job, huh? When you think about it from that perspective, shepherds over your own flocks, the flock of God that is among you wherever you are at. But tonight our passage, Peter once again comes back to the, the topic of really submission. Remember we talked about submitting to government, submitting to masters, our bosses, um, Wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to their wives as well. And now he's talking about the younger people, the spiritually less mature, the actual physically younger. He's talking about that submission. He's talking about being submission, submitted one to another. And really, I think it stands to reason that in this idea as he's concluding this book, that very quite possibly that in the midst of suffering and trials, we know that there's a lot of things that can come up. The challenges that are there, of course, the challenge in suffering, and that maybe there wasn't this proper submission going on. Maybe some people were infighting. There was a little bit of a tension, of course, when you're being chased down by lions and, and threatened with your lives and being persecuted and such. There can, there can be a lot of room for tension and things to get out of order. So he's telling, hey, guys, all of us, all of you, the elders, congregation, man, we got to work together. A lot of spiritual warfare involved in that, so we got to take heed to make sure there is no division. So he's telling them, hey, you guys, let's all make sure we're submitting one to another. He reminds them, of course, that as we submit to God, as we work with God, as we remain humble, as we um, are mindful of the devil's schemes and each other's problems that are going on, that we're all in this thing together, really helps us in the sense of when we're all in the midst of, of the trials and such. So the challenge, of course, in suffering, we talked about this, is to react in a way that is Christ-like. As we know in chapter 2, him being the example of when he was there on the cross, who when reviled did not revile back, he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, obedience to his Father in heaven, which is amazing when you think about it. And so for us, when the heat gets turned up, pressure is on. Still, there is no excuse for us to react. Now, of course, we're all human. 
So no one's going to be perfect in this matter, but we have to have something to shoot for, uh, something to challenge us. So um, when we're in the midst of this, really, we, in this, the, the challenge of sufferings, we've got to, uh, again, believe that, that God's got us. He's going to work this out. He's going to bring us through and understanding that no matter how tough it is, he's going to be there for us. And I know that all of us in this room, whatever it is you're going through, your particular situation, it's interesting. Now, we can say that the situations that are going on, they may be common to maybe family problems or maybe financial problems or maybe it's work problems. But each of us has situations that are so personally unique that nobody else is going through exactly what you're going through. And I share with the leadership tonight, I guarantee you, in the whole world, there wasn't anybody going through the exact same situation I was going through with some of my in-laws. I know it. There's just no way. Why? Because it was so crazy, so bizarre, so unbelievable all over just this item. It's just like, there's no way. I'm the only one. But I'm not the only one that's having problems in situations maybe to do with family members. Amen? Anybody got any family member problems out there? <laughs> yeah, man, buddy. So in the midst of this tonight, the challenge in suffering is to, of course, maintain a proper attitude, verse 5 through 7. Also, the challenge is to be ready for warfare. We talked about that as well, verses 8 through 9a. And then also the challenge is to not go it alone. Do not go it alone, brothers. So number one, maintaining a proper attitude, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be in submission one to another and be clothed with humility. Incredible idea right there we'll talk about. Clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, you guys. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care. How much care? All your care on him for he cares for you. So, how we respond, of course, we talked about the attitude in trials and such. How you respond is so key. The attitude in which we have. Of course, people can pick up when we have a bad attitude. Anybody ever tell you you got a bad attitude? <laughs> Don't you hate when they say that? I do not. See right there, there's evidence. You got a bad attitude. And it's terrible. You think about it. You know, we can, we can either accept what's coming our way as from the hand of God, understanding he has a plan and purpose in it, or we can kick, we can fight, we can scream, we can have this horrible attitude, we can kick cans down the road, we can have our lips hanging out, we can walk around like we're sucking on lemons. But man, ultimately it comes down to we just got to trust the Lord. And a good attitude in life, guys, as we know, will allow you to deal with things so much better. Not that the good attitude will fix the problem, right? Although sometimes it does. Because when you change your attitude, a lot of times the problem that you had caused with a bad attitude fixes itself. Like maybe husbands and wives situations. Follow what I'm saying, married men? You know what I'm talking about there. But it will certainly change you. When I change my attitude, it changes me. It changes me. I go from a bad attitude to a good attitude. I go from being one who's just a pain to be around to someone who's joyful again. Paul, Paul was one who had a great attitude in suffering. How can you say what he said in Philippians 1.21? What does he say? <laughs> to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
That's the best attitude in the world. Then you know what? Hey, while I'm alive, I'm living to Christ. If I die, praise God. I'm out of here. What a great attitude. Also what he told the Philippian believers in chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and noble and just, pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, let what? Let your mind dwell on these things. Think about that for a minute. Our problem is what do we allow our minds to dwell upon? Not the positive, but the negative. Not the possibility of the good things happening Oh, it's always a possibility. What if? Oh, my gosh. How about this? Oh, and, and before you know it, you're sick to your stomach. You can't sleep because you got this negativity about you. We're not talking about positive confession stuff here, but I'm telling you what. When you change your attitude, when you think of things, as Paul says, in a different light, it really has a way of affecting your life. You know that. You can walk around with a smile on your face. Hey, I'm not in control of the world anymore. God's got it. Pretty neat when you can let him do what he's supposed to do, huh? You don't got to worry about it. So, maintaining a proper attitude, number one, an attitude of submission. Peter spoke, of course, in chapter 2 and 3 about this. Um, great chapter on submitting to government, to masters, to husbands and wives. Because we want to? No, because it's biblical. Because we've been called to be submission, in submission to one another as Christ was to his Father in heaven, as Christ was to those when he was here on this planet, in this passage, of course, Peter's putting it all together. Everybody be submissive to one another, to those that are over you. He says, hey, submit to your elders, to each other, be submissive one to another. And there's no one greater, no one above. And, and I love how even Peter brings that to, to light when he says, I who am a fellow elder. That's the idea here, guys. And of course, Submitting one to another, understanding that ultimately it's Christ who is over us. So when you think about this, submission plus humility equals unity, you guys. When we have problems in the church, when we have problems at home, problems at work, it's all because I won't submit to this or I won't be humble about this and put those two at odds and you have disunity. Think of all the churches that maybe you've been a part of that that quite possibly had splits, problems within the church. What was the big reason? Well, there wasn't a submission maybe to the, the leadership. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. We want you to do it this way. Okay, we all have different ideas about how things are supposed to be run. I get it. But when there's no submission, actually, if I'm not being submissive, I'm not being humble. I'm not following the example of Christ. And so if that happens, then there's going to be disunity. But submission... Plus, humility equals unity. So we have an attitude of submission, number one. Number two, though, an attitude of humility. What does he say here? That you all be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Powerful, powerful passage. An attitude of humility clothed, of course. And that's the example of Christ for the believer. Let's turn to John chapter 13. And we'll talk about this, this example that Christ had for us in clothing himself in humility. John chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 1 through 4, and we're going to look at verse 12 through 15. And of course, this is, a, this is an amazing chapter that when you read through this thing, where Jesus himself was started off, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world, 
to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and what did he do? Took a towel and girded himself, clothed himself with the towel. And then, of course, we know how the story goes. He begins to wash the disciples' feet, completely taking the position of a lowly servant, a servant who wouldn't get any recognition coming into the house. Automatically, you walk in, the servant's there, you walk in, okay, you know, it's like, hurry and get them my feet taken care of, I got business to take care of. You don't even care. That's the position. And the crazy thing is, he not only washed Peter's feet, he washed Judas's feet, knowing, knowing what was going to be happening. Amazing. Of course, we, we see the dialogue where Peter says, Huh, Lord, you wash my feet. And Jesus kind of puts him in his place. Okay, wash, do everything. Don't worry about it. Take care of it. But the crazy thing, going to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Yeah, you've just wrecked us. You've just blown our minds completely. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Clothed himself with a towel, the place of a certain incredible picture of submission, humility, guys. I'm not advocating that we have a foot washing service, even though I know that happens in some churches. Kind of creepy to me, but the idea is there clothed. What are you guys clothed with? What am I clothed with? Man, clothed with humility. And of course, a key to keep an attitude of humility, guys, is we got to turn from this propensity for pride. Why? God resists the proud. He is against. He rejects the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Peter talked about that in chapter 3 where the eyes are, of the Lord are on the righteous, meaning his eyes of favor, but his face is against those who do evil. It really comes down to resistance or grace. The choice is ours. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Keep the towel of humility on, you guys, clothed in humility at all times. Got to be got to be the challenge that is there guys in this proper attitude but then number three an attitude of trust verse seven he says casting all your care upon him for he cares for you casting it all i love this idea it's a quote from psalm 55 cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you of course that we must we must cast our burdens and the idea is you take a a, a, a fishing net of sorts and you take the two hands and you just take your burdens, you just whoosh, you cast that net out. And you let go of the net. And, of course, the nets are held by ropes for the boat, so you don't lose the net. But the idea here, guys, is that we, we take and we throw our problems, our burdens onto Christ. We take his yoke. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we, we come to him, we take, throw it on him. Man, in your morning time of prayer, you got situations, you got problems, you got challenges, you got suffering, whatever. You know, Lord, take that, take that, take that, take that. Pretty soon, man, you've lost about 50 pounds. That's a good way to lose weight right there. All these burdens that are on you. Yet, yet we, here's the problem though, is that we cast them out and what do we do? We start reeling that net right back in. But you know what happens when you reel the net back in, you bring that back in? You catch the devil. Because the devil comes back in that net and he pounds you even harder with even more problems. Because now you're freaked out. Wait a minute, I just gave these to the Lord. Now I'm taking them back. Oh, now what am I going to do? I can't get out from under this. No, let it go, guys. And this is what trust is all about. Trust, believing God is going to work it out. Do I believe that? We cast them off. We leave them in God's hands, believing he's going to work every one of these situations out. So I can go on with my life. God's got it. He's got it. He's got it. How do I know he's got it? His word says so. His promises are there for us. But we got to let him go. We got to take that yoke. We got to cast these cares upon him. And trust, of course, total reliance upon spiritual truths. And Paul kind of writes about the fact that Abraham had this kind of trust. In Romans chapter 4, 2021, that he didn't waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, believing. He was giving glory to God, but he was also fully convinced, guys, fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you believe that? Are you fully convinced that you take that burden? You, can, you know, I'm casting this on the Lord, and I'm convinced, Lord, that you are going to work this out. In your way, your time, of course, we want all of our situations worked out how fast? N nanosecond, man. I mean, like. I ain't waiting a day about that. No way, no. Like I talked a couple weeks ago about that lady Phyllis, man, that it happened that day. It didn't happen that day. It happened while we were going back and forth texting. I like those kind of answers. I like when God takes care of those kind of things. But you know what? He's faithful. He's been doing some great work in my life, situations that are there, even with the in-laws. Praise God to that. Amen, guys. So the challenge... Maintaining this proper attitude, humility, submission, trust, casting our cares. Number two, though, be ready for warfare. Don't like the fact that he had to throw this in there, but it is what it is, guys. Be sober, verse 8. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who may be devour. Of course, in this idea that he's reminding him, guys, in the midst of suffering, the enemy doesn't, like, take a vacation because you're having a, a bad day. You know, he, he didn't come and just smack you around a little bit, then, eh, you know, back off a little bit. No, he's, he's like a Mike Tyson, man. He, he sees a little bit of blood. He sees a little bit of a stagger. He sees a little bit of a shaking, and it's all over with. He's all over you. I mean, think about Job for a minute. Did, did Job get a break from the devil? I mean, come on. And yet, God allowed it all to happen, as we know. And then the second punch was worse. The devil would have taken his life if he could have. That's how the, our enemy 
works, you guys. We've got to be ready for this. We've quoted these verses in our studies. Man, we see a perfect picture of our invisible foe. He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In the garden, he was what? He was a serpent. First, he was on his feet. That had been an odd sight to see. But then he was thrown to his belly. But now we see him in the spiritual sense as this roaring lion. And of course, we talked about the fact that some believe that Peter is referring to or an allusion to the Christians of the day being cast and, and sent to the lions, thrown out there to be eaten and destroyed. And the thing about this, guys, you've got to remember he has a determined plan. Remember John 10.10, 10, the thief has come not but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his plan. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, though. We're going to see this, this idea of, of just exactly how bad this enemy is. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is that amazing dialogue that Jesus is having with the disciples. It's at the end of his life, so to speak. In verse 31... Jesus here, of course, the caption over this passage in my Bible says, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, but then he says, and the Lord said, and this is, imagine if, if you were there. That's, I love these kind of passages of Scripture because you just want to sit there and kind of like, okay, what was it like? The guys are around. They're talking. It's like when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, that was, that was bad enough. But now this one here, Simon, Simon, twice, trying to get his attention. Listen to me, Simon. Satan, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And when you read about this, the, the word you there, in the original language, they say it's plural. He wasn't only speaking to Peter. But, of course, the emphasis was on Peter because he was saying, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail, that when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And of course, part of why we believe that God allowed these things to happen in Peter's life, verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, <laughs> I'm Peter. He didn't say that, but we know he was thinking that. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And of course, the, the, the coup de grace, the, the, the death blow to Peter. I tell you, Peter. The rooster shall not crow this day before you shall deny me three times that you even know me. Man, and this idea, you guys, sifting as wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff. Literally, Satan demanded that he would be able to beat and toss and crush and completely shake the faith of Peter. That's what we're talking about. And, of course, God allowed it because we saw Peter's faith shaken. But what did it do? But the point I'm trying to make with us, brothers, is this is the enemy's plan for all of us. To sift me and you as wheat, to crush us, to destroy us, to completely take us apart. Again, Christianity 101. You name the name of Christ. You, you receive the blood, the forgiveness. The target on your back is massive. It is huge. Satan is after you. So spiritual warfare, guys, the bright product of Christianity, be ready. How? Number one, respect him. Wait a minute. Respect the devil? 
Don't be ignorant, guys. He is real. Here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to say. When I first became a store manager, Alpha Beta, back in 86, 87, my first store assignment was down in the hood, brothers. Arborvita and Eucalyptus. Anybody know that area? <laughs> right down the street was the Forum. That was the hood in the wood right there, baby. So I remember when I showed up for the first day, Early in the morning, it was still dark in the parking lot. District manager met me there, and one of the first things he said to me was, now remember, respect where you're at. Meaning, be wise where you're at. Because you're, you're, you know, you're, not, you're not in Orange County, brother. You're down here in the hood. And, and it, was, it was just wisdom. You got to be mindful. You got to be wise. Respect where you're at. And that's the thing with the devil. He says, be sober-minded, you guys. Be sober, wake, watchful, clear-headed, as opposed to being drunk and not paying attention. Remember those days if you were a drinker? Remember when you were drunk? You didn't pay attention. Anything could happen. But somebody, you're so drunk, they can walk in, they can steal your wallet, take your car and your girlfriend all at the same time, and you're just like, completely not paying any attention whatsoever. Respect them. Don't be ignorant, guys. Why? Turn with me now to Psalm number 10. I'm just, you know, you guys, I'm not apologizing for making you go through the Bible because these passages of Scripture are so good. Psalm 10. This is like a description of how our enemy works. And it gives you a good picture to understand just what we're dealing with here. Psalm 10, not so much intended to be a picture of the devil, but when I read this, verse 7 through 11 Tell me if this doesn't sound like our enemy. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly, here it is, as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. I like the idea. He is lurking. He is seeking. He is he's going about like this roaring lion. Recognize him, guys. Number two, don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. The worst times of trial come when we are caught off guard by the devil and we don't see it coming and he takes you out. However that might be. Maybe it's, like I said before, you get home and you're, boom, you walk right into an argument. Or maybe you go to the workplace and you come around the corner, and there's just flesh all over the place, and you stumble, and you go down. Peter says, be vigilant. Be on guard. Be on the alert. Understand his methods, guys. Be mindful of his schemes. And I have four listed here. Number one, his ability to counterfeit. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, that the devil can masquerade as an angel of light. And so we see that in the picture of people who say they're a Christian. Maybe churches 
saying they're representing God, and yet they're just wolves in sheep clothing. What an amazing thought to think that he can masquerade as an angel of light. Recognize. Number two is ability to deceive. We see that in the garden. Adam and Eve. Man, did he deceive. Did God surely say his ability to lie? John 8, says he's the father of lies. He lied straight, bold face to Adam and Eve right there. And he lies to us. He brings those thoughts. Read that passage, that chapter, guys, and you'll see it's a great passage chapter on, on just the transformation of the devil, speaking basically from that passage of Scripture in Corinthians, where he transforms himself into an angel of light. Number four, his ability to blind. Second Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this age who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Guys, and this is where I see such a huge problem in the world today, that the world is flat, deceived, and blinded, you guys. And, of course, we, we know the passage scriptures where good is going to be called evil and evil is going to be called good. That's the only explanation that I can see with the deception there where people can think that what is being done and what is being said, especially in the area of homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism, the perversity, the abomination that God calls it, and people are like, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Love is love. And it's just amazing. It's like you want to put your hand in front of people's eyes and go, is there anything there? Aren't you seeing this? And they're not. And you can't blame them. You can't blame them. You can't, you know, can't get upset with them because, you know, we see that wall as puke yellow. <laughs> Whatever. But someone else might see it as, you know, purple. And yet the person that's seeing it's purple, that's they're convinced it's purple. It's completely purple. Counterfeit, to deceive, to lie, to blind. And you think about it, when the gazelle isn't paying attention, we've all seen these on the wildlife programs. I, I can't even watch that stuff anymore. You know it? Because it got some pretty graphic stuff out there. But when the gazelle just kind of eating the grass, not paying attention, the lion's on them and they're gone. So respect him, recognize him, but also number three, resist him. Resist him, guys. Resist him. Resist him. Take a stand against him. James chapter 4, verse 7, he uses the same quote from Proverbs there on humility. But he says, submit to God, that attitude. But then he says, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's, that's a promise in God's word. Resist him. Resist him, resist him, and he will flee. And sometimes it just comes to when he's planting lies and thoughts in your brain that you necessarily just shut up. Shut up, stop. I'm not listening. That's not true. That's not real. That's not me. Nope. Go, go. Resist them. How do we resist the devil? Peter tells us right here. Number one, guys, we stand firm in the faith steadfast in the faith. Stand on the solid ground of the truth in which you believe the truth of God's word. That's why it's so important to be in the word. You've got to know the truth to stand on the truth. And you've got to be in the word every single day to be getting fed all the stuff that you need because the Lord knows 
what's coming ahead of you. He knows the temptations the devil's going to throw at you. He, he knows the problems that are there. So you're going to get a word that says, hey, like the word spoke to, to Job, you know, I will, I will put a, 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 make a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look on any unclean thing. You read that passage of scripture. Hmm, I wonder what he's trying to tell me. And you go to work, you go somewhere, you whatever, and you, okay, I get it. Thank you, Jesus. Be in it. Be in the word. Stand firm in the faith. Number two, though, stand firm in Jesus. Number one, in his power. We went through this passage of scripture in Ephesians. We know it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not my might, not your might, his might. Well, how strong is he? Pretty strong. Created the heavens and the earth. Spoke it all into existence. Holds the whole world in his hands. I mean, in his power. Stand firm in his power. Stand firm in, under his protection. As we go through that passage of scripture in Ephesians 11, what does it say? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and ruler of a darkness in this present age. Spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, guys. Putting on the whole armor of God and having done all, we stand. Under his protection with prayer. Verse 18. Praying with all Prayer and supplication in the spirit. Pray. By the word, I love in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, how did Jesus defeat the devil? It is written. It is written. It is written. Man, it can't be any clearer that God is so concerned about us that he's making it clear. You've got to be in the word. And, and again, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all in the word every day, right? Every man, every day. Couple of you guys, amen. All right, like that. <laughs> amen, guys. Can't tell you enough. Be ready for warfare number three, though. Verse 9b, don't go it alone, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, you guys. Knowing. And here's the challenge, guys. In, in suffering, don't become isolated in your trials. And it's, it's terrible what happens with guys. We go through something, you know what? We're going to do the John Wayne thing. Ain't nobody going to know. I ain't even telling my wife. You know what's sad about that? Is not only does that happen spiritually, it happens physically. You're not feeling good. Something's going on. What do you do? You just ignore it. Suck it up. I'm tough. I can handle it. A year later, you're dead from cancer. That's a true story. Sad. Don't become isolated in your trials. It's a satanic strategy to keep you from those who can help, to keep you from fellowship, and to keep you in the dark. The devil loves darkness. He, he loves it when we keep things in our own heart. We don't tell nobody about it. That's foolish, guys. That's, of course, Hebrews 10.25 is so important. Not forsaking the assembly of the brothers together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another all so much the more as you see the day approaching, coming together. And, of course, a huge emphasis in this men's ministry is breaking up in that group time, talking about things, opening up about life. What's going on? What are you struggling with? And the crazy thing is you find out, wait a minute, hey, you got this, you, same thing, same thing. It's just, I, I love it when that happens. 
Don't go, number one, know that you're not alone, of course. Knowing, to be aware, to consider, to understand. And, of course, you think about the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. We're not going to turn there, but it's an amazing story. Of course, we know that Elijah, man of God, calling down fire from heaven, destroys 450 prophets of Baal. And then he goes out and he prays seven times. And the rain comes from a cloud that is big as a man's fist from the Mediterranean. Coming. And then what happens? Ahab kicking cans on the way home, goes and complains to Jezebel. And what does Jezebel say? She must have toasted old Elijah verbally. And he runs for his life. Runs for a whole day. Angel came and feeds him. And then he's gone for 40 days. And he's whining, he's complaining, he's crying. And the angel of the Lord comes, what are you doing here? A couple times he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And the, the quote is, I've done all this, done all this, and only I am left. You ever felt that way? You're the only one going through it. You're the only one suffering. You're the only one with this particular problem. You're the only one with this particular problem. Well, it may be specific only to you, but guess what? I got the same problems as well. You got the same problems as well. We are not alone. Why? Scripture says God told him, hey, I got 7,000 that have not bowed a knee to Baal. You're not alone. Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. We're never alone. And, of course, that's why I'm even pushing this men's conference. I mean, how many of you remember, remember the first time you ever went to Harvest Crusade? You walked into that stadium. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things for me was walking in going, man, there really are a few other believers in this world. 50,000 plus screaming, yelling, cheering, worshiping, praising God. That's encouraging. That's great stuff, man. You're not alone. We're not alone. We're not alone in this, guys. Number two, know that, you, that we're in this thing together. He says the same sufferings are experienced. Because we know that when we name the name of Christ, man, we're all on the team. We're all going to be in the fiery furnace. We're all there. We're jumping in. It isn't just three in the fire. It isn't four in the fire. There's another. We're all in the fire. We're all being baptized by fire. We're all fighting the same foe. We're in this thing together. Paul told Timothy, yes, all. All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Of course, Hebrews 12, 1, I love this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run our race with endurance. And I like this idea, the cloud of witness there. Because when you read in chapter 11, the hall of faith, where the, the writer goes through the people that are listed in there, that, that man, some of them, how they were tortured, how they wouldn't even take Anything other than because they didn't think they were worthy to suffer for that name. And yet all these who have gone before us, who suffered way more than we, they've endured, they persevered. And in a spiritual sense, that cloud of witnesses is cheering us on, you guys. They've gone before us. Those who have gone before us in faith, those who have passed on and gone to heaven. Man, that's, that's a motivation for us, you guys. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Number three, though, also know that you are a part of a great fraternity. He says, by your brotherhood. This word is only used twice, and Peter is the only one who uses it. Speaks of those 
with a very close-knit association, members who've endured the same trials. You think about those who died on the USS Arizona there, that day that will live in infamy, December 7th, 1941. And it's an amazing thing if you read on that. Have you, anybody been to the, the monument there? Been there? It's, it's just so like, so heavy. It kind of ruins your vacation, doesn't it? It's like, oh man, this is just so, so intense. But there's 1,177 men who died on board. Over 1,000 are still there, still interned. And you know the crazy thing is that number increased because of the survivors. I think there was 340-something survivors. They were given the right to have their remains interned in the hull of the ship when they died. And just recently, I think it was 2019, the last man Oh, the first name was Lauren. I forgot his last name. He had his ashes taken, and and they had the ceremony. It was at sunset, and the diver comes to hand the ashes to him. He takes it down and puts it in the the gun turret down below there forever. I mean, think about that. So moved by that experience in his life that now he was 99 years old wanting to put his ashes with his brother's. That's what we're talking about here, you guys. We have a brotherhood. We are are in this thing together. We're all going through it. We're all suffering. We're all being beat up. We're all a target of the enemy. And yet, man, this is why we come together. We got fellowship. We got one another. We know this. But it's so important that you don't go it alone, you guys. Don't go alone. Some application tonight. God resists the proud guys. Man, we can't talk about this enough. When resistance or opposition comes in this application, okay, roadblocks, closed doors, hardships, trials, sufferings, whatever it might be, it's, it's so important that we don't look at these as just maybe simple warfare or just things happen, although it very well possibly can be. The point I'm trying to make is that because God resists the proud, we must be willing to examine our hearts always to see if maybe, just maybe, it is my pride that is causing this resistance. Always examine your heart for any evidence of pride, guys. Sit before the Lord and be honest with them. Lay it out there. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And for me, you're getting, this is kind of a crazy thought, but always side with pride. Side with pride. Meaning, if there's any doubt, any question, just, just, you know what? There's pride there. It must be pride there. Rather than humility. Because if I say, well, you know what? I'm actually a pretty humble guy, so it can't be my pride because I'm a pretty humble guy. You're sunk right there. All right? Just, just letting you know right off the bat, okay? Side with pride. Humility is always the best response. Always. Even if you, you know for a fact that I'm right and you're wrong. You know what? Humble yourself. What does it say here? What does he say? Humble yourself that he may exalt you in due time. Now, don't look at that passage in Scripture and say, okay, I can't wait to be exalted, so I'm going to walk around humble. No, 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 no. But God will lift you up. 
God will bring you up. And when God who exalts you, then even like Peter, I who am a fellow elder, he was lifted up by God, not himself. He completely blew it. God lifted him up. Man, always side with pride, guys. Number two, though, don't get caught off guard. Oh, so, so important. Samson, the story of Samson, totally got caught off guard. The devil was after him in the form of the Philistines. He flirted with the devil. Of course, Delilah turned to Judges 16. This is the last time you've got to turn, guys. This story is too good to not turn to. If you've never been there, Judges chapter 16. And the whole story goes, of course, where Delilah is trying to get him to tell her what the secret of his strength was. And, of course, you read this passage and you're like, this guy was a few bricks shy of a full load. He was just like dumb as dirt. Are you kidding me? But, guys, that's sometimes how we act. We don't even realize how dumb we are. We don't realize how we're playing into the devil's hand, his tricks. You're being led to a slaughter. You're, you're walking down the hallway and you know that girl's in the, the office over there and you just kind of keep on walking like, well, I'm just walking. I'm just walking. And the devil's just luring you right in. Crazy thing. So here it is, though. This is another perfect picture of the devil. Verse 16 of chapter 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. The enemy, he, he doesn't give up. He doesn't relent. He keeps pressing you. He keeps pressing you daily, daily. And that's, the, that's, that's Christianity 101, guys. We ain't going to get out of it. The devil doesn't just give you a break. He's not going on vacation. So you're being pressed. You're being pestered by the devil. You're being nagged. You're being tempted. And yet, what do we do? We get to resist, 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 resist. Resist, resist, and he will flee. Samson didn't. Verse 17, that he told her all in his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like other men. When the devil, I mean Delilah, saw that he had told her all his heart, she went and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came to her and brought the money in their hand. Woman always being bought out. Then she lulled him to sleep. Oh, is that just a picture of the devil? He's lulled us to sleep. You're just kind of like, oh, yeah, everything's fine, everything's good. And then whoosh, off goes your head. Lulled him asleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. Isn't that just the devil? Lulling you, tempting you, sweet-talking you, making it all seem all sweet. It's all going to be great and wonderful. And then once he got you, tormented. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake Myself free, but here's the verse, guys. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him out, put out his eyes. 
brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Satan's plan, you guys. Put out your eyes. Spiritual blindness. Bring you back into bondage of sin. And guys, if we're flirting, if we're foolish enough, if we play that game, if we're low to sleep, it's going to happen. Don't get caught off guard. Number three, don't let the enemy isolate you guys. We talked about that. Our tendency as men, we encounter trials. Man, I don't need no help. I can keep things myself. We don't seek counsel. We don't seek help. And then we die a slow death spiritually. And then our hearts become colder and colder and they cool. The fire goes out and you find yourself looking back at how things used to be when once you walked in the fellowship of the brothers. Don't let the enemy isolate you. That's his game plan. That's what he wants to do. So the challenge, guys, in suffering, man, maintain a proper attitude. Sometimes it's tough, amen? But also the challenge to be ready. Be ready for warfare. Be ready, watching, armor on, mindful of his schemes. And then, of course, do not go it alone. We're in this thing together, so thankful. That's why I love the men's ministry. That's why I love these fellowships. I love getting together with the guys. Because there's nothing better. Amen? Amen. And of course, we'll be together for eternity all together up there in heaven. Doing whatever we're going to do. So let's all stand, guys. Let's close in prayer. One more study next week. The promises in suffering. What was that, Bob? Yeah, any new guys? I think we raised some hands. We'll pray, then we'll ask you guys to come up front. Father, again, thank you so much for this time, for your word. So good, so rich. Pray for these brothers, Lord. Thank you for bringing them out. Pray that you've encouraged them, Lord. And in these challenges that we're all going through in this life, in this time, in this um, world that we're living in, in unprecedented times, things happening we would have never even dreamed of, yet, Lord, you're there for us. You're on our side. You're for us. You're with us, strengthening us even now, Lord. So bless these guys. Bless their time in their groups. And we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.